Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. Today we're talking about the new Hunger Games movie, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and the Christmas horror movie classic, Black Christmas. So it's very different. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, they're both a little... <laughs> well, they're, they're both a little dark, but yeah. one is not Christmassy. <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> it feels kind of holiday-ish, though, because three or four of the previous Hunger Games always came out around Thanksgiving, too. And oh. I, my family and I would see them on Black Friday. <laughs> oh, nice. So okay. I associate them with the holidays. That's funny. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, this is probably going to drop definitely a little bit before the main holiday season. We're, we're kind of already in it. We're already yeah, in it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we talked about the book version of this when it came back. We did. And you had listened to the audio book, so now you've seen the film. And so how do you think the adaptation stacks up? I thought it was excellent. Good. And I think that has a lot to do with being directed by Francis Lawrence, who helmed most of the older ones. So oh, okay. it feels very consistent, I guess. Mm-hmm. But how much do you remember about the book that I told you? I remember it was set from the point of view of Snow, whose first name I don't even remember. And that may be about it. Coriolanus. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yes, his name is Coriolanus. Uh Uh-huh. Snow. (laughs) Yes. They sometimes call him Corio. Oh. So, yes, it is about a young snow and if you're not familiar with the original books and movies it's i almost said trilogy it's a book trilogy but a movie quadrology i guess yes if you're not familiar with those snow is the president of panem in the original ones and he's the main antagonist so mm-hmm. i remember when i was talking about the book i was kind of like i don't know if this needed to be written but yeah i ended up really liking it just as sort of a villain origin story Mm -hmm. because well we'll talk about i guess we'll talk about character stuff later but it is about him and he is 18 he recently graduated from high school and he wants to go to college or or university but he his family is actually poor oh so he lives with his cousin tigress who's played by Hunter Schaefer, and I neglected to say that who Coriolanus was played by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who plays him? He's played by Tom Blythe, and he's very good. Good. And then they live with their grandmam, who's played by veteran character actress, Finola Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> I had to confirm that she was a veteran character actress with KW. <laughs> <laughs> so they're actually poor Snow's dad died in the rebellion like 13, 10 or 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. There is some backstory that you get where his father and his friend Casca Highbottom, played by Peter Dinklage, created the games together as a way to punish the districts for their rebellion against the capital and the resulting war, which the districts lost. Mm-hmm. So there is that backstory, and you get the sense that the Elder Snow was pretty high up in society, but they've since fallen, and he has to sort of 
Coriolanus has to sort of act like he still has money. Oh. So he's constantly doing things like secretly stealing food from the cafeteria. And Tigress helps him take his father's shirt and make it look like new because she like sneaks it into somewhere and gets it bleached. And then she takes bathroom tiles and makes them into buttons and things like that. So, oh, yeah, it's he's he's already starting out with like a lie, basically. So he can't pay for university and he's relying on getting this thing called the Plinth Prize, which is basically a scholarship. And in all the past years, it's been awarded to the person with the best grades and the best high school career. So he's very confident at the beginning that he will get it. And then he goes to school. It's reaping day. And they have decided that the Hunger Games, this is going to be the 10th Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. So in the original ones, we're at 74 and 75. So they go on for 64 more years. Yeah. But... Uh, no one's really watching the games. Oh. And Dr. Volumnia Gall, played by Viola Davis, who is fantastic. She's so creepy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> she needs to inject new life into the games, basically. Uh-huh. So instead of avoid- awarding the prize to the best student, they decided to award the prize to the mentor who performs best in the Hunger Games. So... This is the first instance of the mentoring, and they take the 24 top students and assign them to the 24 tributes. Oh. So Coriolanus is upset because he he thought he was a lock for the prize, and now Highbottom is the dean of the academy now, and he hates Coriolanus for a reason we don't find out right away. And he makes it so that Coriolanus gets to mentor the female tribute from District 12. Okay. And that's seen as not very prosperous because, as we know from the original books, 12 is poor and the kids don't like get enough to eat often. And they're not, they're not really good contenders in the game. So if you want a good shot, you want a tribute from districts like one through four or something. Uh So he gets stuck with Lucy Gray Baird, played by Rachel Ziegler, who is incredible. (laughs) She's so good in this. And he just he decides that he has to sort of make the most of it. So, yeah, so it's it starts the ball rolling and a bunch of bunch of bad things happen. But um. Mm -hmm. He he and Lucy Gray f- start to form a connection, and he's really the only mentor who, like, goes and tries to get to know their tribute, so he meets them at the, the train, and it's really disgusting. They round them all up from the train, and they put them in the actual zoo. Ugh. I know. It's like, oh, God. like, there are so many uncomfortable things about this. <laughs> <laughs> So he's the one who, like, is at the zoo and brings them food because they haven't even really been fed. And the TV is there, TV guy. And he brings Lucy Gray over and is like, let me introduce you to my tribute. And he's really, like, playing up the camera and trying to make the audience interested in her. 
Mm-hmm. And the camera guy, or the host, I guess, is Lucretius Lucky Flickerman, and he's played by Jason Schwartzman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's just really funny. He's like, uh-huh. it's funny in a sad way because he clearly has no concern for these tributes. He's just sort of like having fun doing his job and being a host and being a magician. And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, wow, you are in a different world right now. But it is kind of funny. There's like some comic relief. That's good. (laughs) So he he always introduces himself as like, I'm a weatherman and your host and a magician. And he'll like, when he says his name, Lucretius Lucky at Lucky, he like flips up a coin into the air and then it disappears. And then (laughs) like at the end of the broadcast, the coin will come back. And it's just so like silly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like you are you are living in a different world right now sir yeah where 24 people are not going to die because of your government and stuff like yeah. that Ugh. but he does bring some comic relief so that's that's kind of cool that's good oh i do have to mention sejanus plinth it's one of coriolanus's classmates mm-hmm. he's played by josh andres rivera he's a mentor to a tribute from district two And he's actually from District 2, but his family got rich in the war because District 2, if I remember correctly, made weapons and things. So he got rich in the war and his family moved here. And he has this crisis of identity, basically, because he feels like he's from the districts, but he has to live in the capital now. And he's rich now. And Mm -hmm. he's watching these games and has to mentor this kid and hates the games he tries to push back at them at every chance he gets and actually he thinks that dean highbottom is actually punishing him a little bit because he gets a a mentor from district two and it's a kid that he knew like as a kid yeah and it's just really disgusting and sad like everything about this book and this movie is so much darker than the original ones and the original ones were really dark yeah so i think you have to know that going in okay but it's a good commentary on like how they got from here to where they are in katniss's time and Mm -hmm. also like how we how we treat other people um and how we view them so um i think there's a lot of good commentary in there yeah i don't know how much i want to tell you about the plot but Dr. Gall, Viola Davis, kind of gloms on to Coriolanus because once he starts thinking about how to get Lucy Gray to win, mm-hmm. and therefore he'll win the prize, he starts coming up with ideas to make people watch the games. Oh. So a lot of the things that he comes up with, you see later on, and you see implemented at first here. Yeah. Like people betting on on the candidates, mm-hmm. and you see the donations, so people can donate to the tributes, and their mentor will send them water and things in the arena. Mm-hmm. So you see all that stuff sort of getting its legs, and and obviously, even though here in the tenth games they're struggling, all that stuff sort of locks into place, and the games become more popular, and until they are what they are in the seventy fourth hunger games Mm -hmm. so one of the things that i really loved about this movie was lucy gray 
Rachel Ziegler, or Ziegler, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce that, is... Have you seen her in anything? I know she was in uh, uh, West Side Story, which I didn't see, and she's going to be... Or she was... Yeah, she's going to be Snow White in the live-action Disney. Yeah. So I know who she is, but I haven't actually seen her in something. Okay. I actually haven't either. I haven't watched West Side Story, but she's an excellent singer. Mm -hmm. And her character is... Like, she's, she lives in District 12, but she's sort of from a traveling, but they're called the Covey, and they kind of don't stay in one place a lot. Mm-hmm. But then they, the capital sectioned off all the districts, so they've, they're stuck in District 12. Mm-hmm. But their group is very musical, so all the people in their group have... Uh, color as their middle name hence lucy gray and she always goes by lucy gray she doesn't go by lucy Mm -hmm. and her ex-boyfriend is billy tope (laughs) and her her cousin is maud ivory and things like that (laughs) yeah so she plays the guitar and she's the main singer of this covey group so back in 12 they they performed a lot and you actually do get to see that i'm not gonna totally spoil the plot line for you but you do get to see some of their performances and she actually sings in the games a little bit and Mm -hmm. she sings a song you know they have those interviews the night before the games Mm -hmm. so she sings a song then so it's it's more musical than the old ones it's not like a full-out musical Mm -hmm. but i think there are a lot of interesting things done with like the lyrics that she sings and the idea of oral history and the strength that can come from songs shared by a community. Mm-hmm. So when she gets reaped, there's a song that she starts singing and, or actually the crowd starts singing it first and she picks it up. So there's this like thread of connection and just sense of history there. And it, and that song comes back later. And then later in the movie, she actually writes the hanging tree song. Oh, from a hanging that she sees. And if you are a big fan of the originals, you know that the Hanging Tree song comes back in book three and movie three and four mm-hmm. as like a symbol of the rebellion. Yeah. So I think there are a lot of great threads running through this that run into the original one. Mm-hmm. And I just love that storytelling aspect to it through song. Mm hmm. So I thought that was really, really well done. And I loved it. And Rachel Ziegler is like an amazing singer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So she just kind of killed it at everything. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, she played Maria in West Side Story and you need a really good voice for that. So I'm not surprised. You do. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh, maybe I should go watch that. (laughs) (laughs) So just a couple people I want to mention. Yeah, I think I actually got most of the mains. But I do want to mention Bern Gorman. He oh. comes in as. <laughs> Do you... I feel like he's one of those guys you either like or hate? Well, I sort. I mean, he's been a baddie in almost everything I've seen him in, and in certain things, he's really <laughs> awful. So, yeah, he was in uh Oh, the the little Sherlock Holmes movie we watched. Oh, um, Enola Holmes. Enola Holmes, yes, <laughs> the little Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> the little Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Girl, girl, Sherlock. Girl, <laughs> well, 
he plays a peacekeeper officer here, mm-hmm. which is kind of a baddie, but he's not, he in particular is not like detestable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just sort of doing his job. But it's always fun when he pops up. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I wanted to mention him. I like him a lot. He was from he's in Pacific Rim, so I have I yes. have fond feelings for him. He was also in this adaptation of Bleak House by Charles oh. Dickens that I really enjoyed. He was on Torchwood as a oh, okay. very morally conflicted character that you uh, either hate or love, and he, they okay. keep trying to redeem him, and it's just terrible. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> well, I, br- I brought him up because I, I like him, and he doesn't play a huge part, but also I went to see it with a friend, mm-hmm. and he came on, and they were kind of like, oh, that guy? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah that guy whose name no one really knows except <laughs> you and me <laughs> but everyone recognizes yeah anyway so i think it's a really good movie i really enjoyed it it's very close to the book you get a lot of commentary about the rebellion and the best way to rebel and fight back against an oppressive government and also Things come to a head, when things come to a head at the end, Tom Blythe really also knocks it out of the park here because the whole movie, and this is what happens in the book too, because it's adheres so closely. The whole movie, you're like, oh, you're doing some bad things, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you might have good reasons for them. Like he cheats in the games, but he's trying to do it to save Lucy Gray. Mm -hmm. And so he does some bad things for good reasons and then he starts doing some bad things for selfish reasons. And you're like, hmm, okay, you're not doing great, but you can sort <laughs> of still pull it back from the edge. You can come back from, you know, you cannot be completely evil. Yeah. But then in the end, something happens and he just like decides to be not evil, but he just decides that like he's going to put himself first. Mm-hmm. And that means he has to kill this person and therefore, he'll go back to the capital and, like, get all the things he wants and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So he puts himself above everything else. And you kind of – it's just a choice that he makes. Mm-hmm. And you see that turning in his head. And there is a scene in the movie where he's chasing someone through the forest. Mm-hmm. And he gets bitten by a snake. So he's, like, kneeling down. He's yelling at this person. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to kill me? Is the snake poisonous? And obviously they don't respond. (laughs) (laughs) And there's like a two minute scene where the camera's just on his face. Oh, gee. Yeah. And you're like watching him go through this mental process of like, okay, what's his next step? And what's he going to do? And it's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. Wow. And then that's, that's like, the moment where he like starts going after this person and it's just Mm -hmm. like, wow. Okay. And I just think that's a really interesting narrative choice and I like it a lot. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a great villain origin story Mm -hmm. and it dives deeper into the world of the hunger games that Suzanne Collins has built. So I think if you're a fan of the original, you would like this one. And I had a really good time and I kind of want to see it again, but it is long. It's like, Two hours and 40 minutes. Oh, this is going to be a streamer for me, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I had a good time. Cool. I'm sorry I talked so long about it. <laughs> no, it sounds really good. It does sound good. Yeah. And I think I'm probably more likely to watch the movie than read the book at this point. But uh, yeah. But yeah, it's good. Cool. Well, you have been getting into Christmas movies, but specifically <laughs> <laughs> horror Christmas movies, yeah. which I think is an interesting choice. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. I'm transitioning from from horror movies for Halloween to horror movies for Christmas. And then I'm going to transition back into more normal (laughs) Christmas movies. Okay. (laughs) But let me tell you, let me give you a preamble to this, which is something I didn't know before I started deep diving on the movie that I watched. So one of my favorite non-spooky Christmas movies is 1983's A Christmas Story, which is a very wholesome, funny classic about a family in the 40s and uh you know they're in cleveland and so it's all or or it's supposed to be i think it was filmed in cleveland so you know it's got a little ohio tie and it's just you know very it's a classic and i it's fun you know Mm -hmm. family comedy it's a little edgy in certain ways but not too too much but anyway that movie is directed by a man named Bob Clark, okay, who is an American film director who mostly was working in Canada in the 70s and 80s. And nine years before A Christmas Story, he directed what is often credited as the first slasher film, Ooh. Black Christmas. Okay. Nice. So the thing is, there's a certain, you can almost see the germ of how he was able to make this pivot from <laughs> one genre of Christmas movie that's very different to another. Mm-hmm. Because Black Christmas has moments that are funny and weird and campy that we sort of see played out later in A Christmas Story, but obviously with 100% less murder. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Black Christmas, 1974, and it was remade twice. I have not seen either remake. You have seen one of the remakes, and we'll maybe talk about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's Canadian, and it takes place in a Canadian sorority house and i think it's supposed to be loosely the university of toronto okay so we're in definitely the cold weather side of canada but not so terrible that it's like you know unrelatable to a midwestern american you know it's practically detroit weather basically right so (laughs) yeah yeah so this uh, sorority house, everybody's getting ready to go home or on vacation for the holidays. They've decorated the house with their Christmas tree and lights and everything. And um, they're having a little party right before everybody goes home. And there's a couple of kind of main sorority sisters. There's Margot Kidder, who goes on to play Lois Lane in the original Superman uh, yeah. movies from the 70s and 80s. And she's mm-hmm. Barb. And Barb is kind of, Barb is sort of the campy, weird, like, social butterfly. But well, maybe she's a little, she drinks too much, basically. And she kind of okay. has no filter. And she's a little saucy. So Barb <laughs> is like the good time girl, but like it gets a little edgy at certain points. It's like, oh, <laughs> at one point, somebody's like, Barb, you're drunk, you need to go to bed. So I mean, it's that kind of behavior. But she's also really funny. So she's one of the sorority sisters. And then Olivia Hussey from Romeo and Juliet from the 60s plays Jess, who is oh. like a British exchange student. And she's like the good girl of the house. She's much more staid and put together. And uh, she's got this boyfriend, Peter, who's a music student. He's played by Keir DeLay from 2001 A Space Odyssey. And uh, he's 
tempestuous and problematic, and we'll get into that in a second. Okay. But then the other main sorority sister that we see is Phil, played by Andrea Martin, who people probably now know more as a comedic actress who's much, much older. So she's like extremely young in this, and she's got crazy hair and big glasses, and that's kind of fun. So, so those are our like heroines. And they also have this house mother, Mrs. McHenry, who they call Mrs. Mac, played by Marion Waldman. And she's a trip and very weird and is always wearing this fur coat. And she's got a cat and she's just very like eccentric. <laughs> so as they're all packing up and things, Barb gets a phone call from her mom. She thinks she's going to get to go home for Christmas. And her mom is clearly going to instead spend the holiday with some random boyfriend and Barb is like just giving her the business on the phone and blaming her and getting mad. So then she comes back to the party and is like, all right, I'm not going home. Who wants to go skiing with me instead? And most of the sorority sisters are like, we can't, we got plans. But Jess and Phil are like, well, okay, yeah, we actually don't really have any place else to go. So we'll go skiing with you. So that's why they kind of stay back in the house after everybody else is gone. So they're okay. sort of just the three of them and Mrs. Mac kind of isolated. And Mrs. Mac herself is even getting ready to go somewhere else for the holidays. So it's okay. going to soon be empty. But then they get these obscene phone calls. As they're getting ready to like wrap the party up and stuff, this caller that they call the moaner, who's apparently been calling them before, calls them and says a bunch of weird almost indecipherable stuff and they're all freaked out and they they're sick of this continuing to happen so they call the police and there's a lieutenant fuller played by john saxon who's a veteran character actor <laughs> and uh he tries to help them and they also try to get some help from another officer and the phone company and stuff this is like again 1974 these are all telephones with no caller id and no callback right. and no nothing so they're they have no idea who this is and so one of the there is this one other sorority girl claire who is played by lynn griffin she's getting ready to leave she's still there when the obscene call comes and she is packing up and she's in her room and getting ready to go and somebody comes out of her closet oh my and gosh. attacks her and kills her. Oh my gosh. But they leave her in her well, I think they they take her up into the attic of the house. This is a big house. I should also mention that it's all through the opening when the girls are having this party, we also see point of view shots of someone climbing the trellis of the house and breaking oh, into no. it. Yeah. So that's how they got in. They climbed the trellis, they broke in and so they were hiding in wait in Claire's closet, kill her, put her up in the attic. But the girls are all completely distracted, so they don't hear anything or know anything that's going on. And But then they do realize, well, Claire's missing. She left some of her stuff, and she's not fully packed, and she never actually left. So that's part of not only the obscene calls, but her going missing is what prompts the police investigation. And the thing that's interesting about this movie is it is a slasher, but it's not super... Like, it's barely violent. Um, we don't actually see a lot of the murders too gruesomely. Okay. And it is a little bit more of like a mystery whodunit. So 
when I say this is credited as being like the first slasher, it's very much transitional film between a little bit more classic locked room mystery movie and Mm -hmm. a real slasher horror film. Okay. It's also kind of based on the so-called urban legend of the babysitter and the man upstairs, which is a template that is used us. Yeah, no, it's like the call is coming from inside the house comes from this movie and very similar movies. It's also used in uh, Scream and also in When a Stranger Calls, which are two other classic horror movies, obviously. So a lot goes on with like trying to find Claire and Claire's dad comes to campus and starts trying to help the investigation and you know, other characters go missing and get murdered. And also all through all of this, Jess finds out she's pregnant and goes to Peter to try to talk about what to do. And he's very resistant to her ideas and she's very resistant to his ideas. And we get this very bad feeling from Peter. So yeah, I don't want to say too much about like (laughs) who's suspects and who's killers, but it's it's very nicely short. You want to talk about the opposite mm-hmm. of the Hunger Games movie. This is <laughs> yeah. 98 minutes long, so nice, nice and short. It's free streaming on Freevee right now, oh. which we ended up watching with, it does have commercials in it, but it was barely, like they usually just put like one commercial every 15 minutes. It's not bad. So it's nice and short. It's compact. And it's really compelling. And you still have like, like still all the holiday stuff is going on in the midst of all of this chaos. There's carolers wandering around <laughs> and they're all kind of the, the patina of caroling suddenly seems creepy. And all the Christmas lights and things give everything this like weird, you know, unearthly glow and cast that feels like instead of feeling festive and fun, it feels upsetting and off and creepy Mm -hmm. and this sorority house is actually gorgeous beautiful like tudor victorian mansion basically and it starts to feel claustrophobic and scary because of what's going on in it and every time somebody is like looking for something or someone you just know something bad's going to happen to them there are several like distinct murders there's about i think four murders that happen in it and each one is kind of you know differently upsetting in certain ways. But what's interesting is the cops really do try hard to help these women and I think are earnest and not dismissive, but it's still like you're at the mercy of the technology in some ways. And that is very frustrating. Like as soon as they figure out where the obscene calls are coming from, it's almost too late to do much. And so we get a lot of like you know, tense situations in that way. And I don't know that the weather, the weather's not great. It is full snowfall and stuff. And I think that's kind of playing against some people uh, in different points, but not dramatically. So, so yeah, it's, it's really good. Good. I don't, because it's got this like element of suspense and whodunit, I don't want to go into too, too much, but it is seen as kind of a feminist horror film because Mm -hmm. the women are not treated as stupid. They are the heroes. They are autonomous. This is one of the first, one of the first times, maybe not the first time that we see the idea of a final girl, which is a horror trope where one kind of pure of heart girl survives the killer, but there's a lot of ambiguity around certain elements of that trope in this one. We get the kind of 
starting of a serial killer as the main antagonist. So it's not supernatural or otherworldly, but they don't do too much to humanize the killer in this one, which is different from some of the others. Having just watched Friday the 13th for the first time, you know, this that definitely takes a lot of cues from this. So if you want to see the origin of a lot of these later, like Halloween and Scream and all of that, this is really, I think, where it starts. Nice. And it's just, there's a lot of moments of comic relief that are fun. And then there's a lot of like moments that are not supposed to be funny, but are funny because of the <laughs> like old tech and retro yeah. nature of it. The way the house is decorated is so early 70s. It just feels like they're <laughs> living in the Brady Bunch house in some ways with the very like post hippie era decor. There's a lot of shag carpet and a lot of weird like psychedelic posters and stuff in their rooms. Nice. But every actor does like a really good job. This doesn't feel like a low budget film, even though it was. Um, Everybody takes it super seriously and gives a great performance. And I think the fact that most of these actors, not all of them, but most of the main people had either already done some important fancy movies or were about to is Mm -hmm. very clear. All of them had, you know, very long, enduring careers. You know, Margot Kidder has passed away, but she certainly was still acting. But Olivia Hussey did a lot of, you know, really good stuff before and after, and Kira Delay is still acting. John Saxon went on to be like a, you know, major character actor in TV. And Andrea Martin still acting to the point where she was just right. on the most recent season of uh, Only Murders in the Building. So yeah. kind of getting back to these roots in a way. <laughs> but it is, it's scary enough that if you want something that is going to be a little bit, you know, vaguely creepy, you'll get that. Okay. And even though I mentioned there's a cat, nothing bad happens to the cat as far as I oh, can good. remember. So excellent. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I really I was surprised. It was one of these things of like, oh, that's free. Let's just and it's nice and short. But I think I may try to watch the two remakes. There's one from two thousand six and two thousand nineteen. Yeah. And I've heard the 2006 is better than the 2019. And then is that the, the second one is the one you've seen? Right. Yeah. Do you have any comments about that version? So I can't speak to whether it's better than the 2006 because I haven't watched that. But mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Again, it's short. It's directed by a woman, Sophia mm-hmm. Tikal, I think. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading after I watched it a little interview with her where she talks about how she really wanted it to be PG-13 as sort of like an entryway like for teenagers to get into horror so I thought that was very cool I remember seeing a lot of reviews that it wasn't bloody enough and things like that I think they pulled a lot of like stuff about feminism and gender into it Mm -hmm. that I'm not quite sure worked totally. Okay. But I think it was, it was a good homage, but also it was ambitious in trying to update it. Okay. So I think it's worth watching, but I don't know if you would, I think you would probably still think the original was better. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'm a little bit more interested in the 2006 one because mm-hmm. it has more actors that I'm familiar with, like Katie okay. Cassidy, Michelle Trachtenberg, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Lacey Chabert, 
Andrea Martin is in it again. And it <laughs> was written and directed by Glenn Morgan. And I think also James Wong worked on it too. And Morgan and Wong worked together on the X-Files and they wrote a lot of the mo- more comedic X-Files episodes. So I think I was a little bit more like that sounds closer to what I would want in a remake. Yeah. So I, I may seek that one out. But yeah, it was, like I said, it was really fun. And having seen the 2019, you might want to go back and watch this one as just like a yeah, seeing what what's different and what's the same. But yeah. Yeah, I think so. This Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that this was, I think this was probably still rated R, but it's a very, it's similarly mild. It's not too. Okay. It's very gruesome. 70s R. Very 70s R for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before they had PG-13. (laughs) Really? Yeah, PG-13 didn't come until the 80s. And it was movies like the first Indiana Jones movie and Gremlins, I think both ended up being rated PG. And they were both a little too intense to be PG. Okay. So that's where they came up with PG-13. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. So cool. really fun. I think I am going to maybe hold off on. I watched another Christmas horror movie last night, which was actually not good. So I won't mention oh. it, but I am going to, I think, move on to some like Hallmark and Netflix style rom-coms for the foreseeable. I think. Yeah. Nice. I think that's <laughs> probably a good choice. Yes. <laughs> but I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, it was fun. And now I'm interested in, in watching that. Cool. So. Do you want to tell us again where we can find it? Yes. So that currently is streaming for free on the Freevee streaming app. Uh, it, it does have ads, but it's, you know, not a big deal. And then Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is currently in theaters right now. Next time, we'll be talking about some more great pop culture stuff. So be sure to join us soon. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find our website at PositivelyPopCulture.com. And from there, you can find the link to the merch store, as well as our email, positivelypopculture at gmail.com. And please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>